The term angling may be a reference to the angle of the hook, but I'm here to tell you that that ancient reference isn't completely out of line. The angle still matters. All that and more on this episode of Fishful Thinker, the podcast. I'm Chad Lachance, and you're listening to Fishful Thinker, the podcast. All things fishful, all the time. Hey guys, Lachance here. Uh, that was a weak intro. <laughs> it was my my reach for uh, for an angle reference. But uh, jokes aside, angling, as I understand it anyway, was a, a was in fact originally a reference to the angle and the bend of a hook uh, that was used to catch fish, and that's where it came from. But this episode of Fishful Thinker, the podcast, will have nothing to do with the angle of the hook but it will have everything to do with the angle of your casting. Uh, Casting angles, in my opinion, are one of the least understood uh, or least discussed aspects of angling in most circles. Um, You might see it a little bit more in running water references, but in general, basically nobody asks me um, what angles were you working or or anything like that. They want to know what lure, the smart ones will want to know how deep, um, you know, things like that. Uh, but I never get questions on casting angles. And yet it's something that camera guy Tim Farnsworth and I are constantly discussing in the boat because, uh, or anytime we're filming for that matter, uh, on the shore of the boat or whatever, because we need to line up shots for visibility, right? So he can view them. But more importantly, I need them to catch fish. And so it's something that we're always talking about is working on angles. Uh, Same thing with guide trips. When I guide people, a lot of times it's all about getting the angles right, the casting angles right. And it seems intuitive, it seems simple, but it definitely is not. And more importantly, if you're observant about your angles and how you're fishing them, you will find out that your catch rate will go up significantly if you play your angles correctly. And it really doesn't matter if you're in running water or you're in still water. It's going to make a big difference in a lot of cases. Now, in some cases, it's not. You might be out in an open flat and there's no wind blowing. You can just fish in circles around the boat or, or whatever. But in more often than not cases, more cases than whatever, I'm rumbling there, whatever, most of the time, the angles that you cast are going to make a big difference in your catch rate over the course of the day. So I thought I'd talk about a few of the key Uh, things that you ought to be observing when it comes to casting angles and their relation to your catching. Uh, And it's not really species-specific, although it can be to some degree species-specific. For the most part, no, it's general information, like most of the things here on our podcast that will spread out and cover a lot of different angling scenarios. So let's do the obvious one first, running water. Um, You're fishing a river. Well, You've obviously got uh, up current, across current, and down current casts, and they completely affect how you how your lure or your fly uh, is presented to a fish. So obviously, in the, uh, the, the, the 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 you know the well known example is drifting a fly or drifting a, a lure it's down current. So you're going to throw it up current. You're going to try to get your offering to drift at the same speed as the current, and it's going to come straight downstream to the fish. That's the obvious one. Um, if you're a grew up spinning, you know, spin fishing guy, and maybe you're throwing inline spinners in the river or spoons, which is some of my earliest, uh, river fishing experiences, uh, particularly little spinners used to throw rooster tails big time, uh, when I was a little kid in the rivers or when I was first doing it, um, a lot of times those are going to be better served to throw across the current or maybe even slightly down current and letting them swing similar to a flag guy might do with a streamer. 
That's going to make your lure go a whole bunch faster, uh, whether you like it or not, in most cases, because as the current swings, it will accelerate the, the lure, which can be good or bad, depending on what lure you're, you're trying to fish and what you're trying to accomplish with it. But the angle in which you cast makes a big difference. These, day as, these days, as a, as a more mature angler with a more diverse skill set in running water, I probably fish jigs more than anything else with spinning tackle in running water, some sort of a jig. Marabou jig, a tube jig, a uh, little soft swim bait, a little power swim or something. Those, those things are just straight money in, in running water. In the case of a jig, you can really do any angle you want. I mean, if I'm throwing a dry fly, I kind of have to throw it up current. And if I'm throwing a spinner, I kind of need to throw it across or down current to get the blades to turn and things like that. But with a jig, I can work that thing straight downstream or straight upstream, as the case might be, or I can hold it and let it swing in the current. On any given day, the fish need to tell you which one of those they want. And what I see very commonly is that a bait working 45 degrees downstream, a jig working 45 degrees downstream, uh, works very well. And I, and I will pick it up just enough that it doesn't stay in the rocks, and the current will push it downstream. I'll let it settle, pick it up, let the current will push it a little farther downstream. So I'm working it downstream across feeding lanes. The reason I like that is it gets it in front of the most fish. As fish are spread out, particularly in something like a riffle, if I'm coming down current, I'm in their vision. They're, if I'm coming up current, I'm behind them because the fish are all facing the current. But if I work it just straight across the current, it doesn't look as natural. So I can work a bait 45 degrees downstream, particularly with something like a jig, and have it look very natural and work its way across the current. That's a favorite presentation of mine, particularly with something like a tube jig, because it's a bottom contact bait and I'm trying often to imitate sculpin. And those little sculpins have no swim bladders, so they stay tight to the bottom. Uh, so I want my bait to stay very tight to the bottom and I pick it up just enough that the current will push it and then I'll guard it back to the bottom with the rod tip and let the current push it down every time I pick it up a little bit. That angle can be very, very good. That same tube jig cast 45 degrees downstream has a completely different approach because I can't hardly get it to the bottom without a whole bunch more weight. The, the force of the water is going to hold that bait up and off the bottom and it's not going to have the bottom contact. And sculpins don't even have swim bladders. So they spend all of their time on the bottom besides the fact that when they get out of the bottom and out of the rocks, they get eaten on a regular basis, which is why we imitate them in the first place. But the angle at which I cast that tube jig makes a total difference in how it works in relation to the bottom and also the fish. Same thing with a hard plug or a spin or anything like that. If it's coming straight up current, you have potential to blow fish out. In other words, it'll sneak up behind fish and they don't like that. That's not something they're going to generally eat. Now, if it comes into their peripheral vision, off to one side or the other of them as it swings in, that's a fantastic way to get bites. If it swings across in front of them, in other words, slightly upstream of them, also a fantastic way to get bites. But it makes a giant difference in which the angle in which you throw it, and my advice is to pay close attention. The more you want your bait to swim, the more across or down current you can throw it. The more you want that bait to be some relation to the bottom, the more up current I will generally throw it. And that's how I'm going to work that out on most days. Ironically, we've done a bunch of work with topwater baits for trout in running water, and they almost always want those coming either 45 down or straight across the current. No up current has paid the bills for us at all. The one thing I will throw out for you, though, Big giant eddies will make a difference in how fish sit. Big deep plunge pools, they might be sitting completely opposite of what you think. And in the event of a 
big, deep, slow-moving, deep, dark pool in, say, the Colorado River, I might work every single angle as though it's a lake because the currents on the bottom can be completely different than the visible currents on the top. The fish might be eight feet down. I need a bait to get down. If I throw it what looks to be up current, the eddy may actually make it down current once you get deep on the bottom. So I will work those from every possible angle that I can get a reasonable cast into. But if I'm working riffles or the head or the tail of a pool, something like that, then I'm going to really focus on the current's effect on my lure and which angle I need to throw it to accomplish whatever goal I'm trying to accomplish with that lure. So that's that's the simple one. That's the, that's the running water scenario. And those are the easy ones because it's kind of dictated to you. Let's move on to still water. Still water is a whole other story, and the reason being is you can work any angle you want. It's up to you. I can, I can work any angle I want, but that doesn't mean the fish want all the angles. And so on any given day, it's up to me to figure out. And right now, to paint a current picture, uh, on all of our guide trips, here we are. It, it is, uh, what is it, the very end of July. The lake level is falling a whole bunch on the lake I guide on, and a lot of the fish are on offshore humps, and they're surrounded completely by deep water, which is great. You think, okay, well, now I got them. They're sitting on top of these humps. But what I find out on every given day is that some days I can sit right on top of the fish and drop a bait straight to them, like a drop shot or something like that, and I can catch them. If they'll do that, I can catch the most fish, uh, without question. If I can fish purely vertical, I can always catch the most fish. But the problem is, A, you can't always get bites that way because your bait doesn't do anything except for move straight up and down. And B, uh, and this is even bigger and more important, they won't always sit under your boat. If they're not deep enough, they won't sit under your boat. If they're getting a ton of fishing pressure, they'll tune into your trolling motor and they won't sit under your boat, even if they're 25 feet down. And I've proven that one over and over again at this point with my forward-facing sonar. Uh, you try to get on top of them and they just vacate. It doesn't matter if they're 25 feet deep. You can watch them swim away and that's frustrating as an angler, but it's a great thing to understand. The way to combat that is casting angles. So instead of getting on top and dropping straight down on them, I'll stay three quarters of a cast length away from them throw something across the top of the hump, and then work it that way. The angles come into play when I need to work up the hump. Let's say I need the boat up higher in the water column, or excuse me, up higher on the, on the bank or uh, the hump itself. In other words, up on a higher part of the hump or closer to the bank, working my bait uphill. If you want to work your bait uphill, uh, you can stay tightest to the bottom. That's the easiest way to keep your bait right on the bottom. It's also the easiest way to snag your bait. So being diligent with line control is very, very important in that scenario. But if you're going to work a bait uphill, I can keep it right on the bottom very easily. So if I've got walleyes pinned to the bottom, uh, there's a reason bottom bouncers were invented for walleyes, right? It keeps your bait right there on the bottom, just barely off the bottom all the time. If I'm fishing walleyes with jigs or something like that, and they're pinned to the bottom, and I need the bait right, right on them, then working uphill is the easiest way to do that. Conversely, working downhill, you get more of a slinky or a stair-step approach. I can make my jig hit the bottom, pick it up a little bit, it'll sink a little farther, and it'll look like a slinky working its way down the stairs. It doesn't stay quite as tight to the bottom. You can do it with diligence, but you have to work the bait slower. And the good side of it is you have less chance of snagging the bait because working downhill, you won't be snagging in all the ledges and rock edges and things like that. The good news for me is a lot of those humps I'm talking about are gravel, and you can generally drag either direction up and down them if you need to. 
Conversely, the hard rock ridges that we commonly fish, you might fish those in, in the Ozarks as well in certain lakes there. Um, any of the lakes in the west, very common, the canyon-style reservoirs will have big, giant ridges on them. If you drag them up those ridges, they're very easy to snag. If you drag them down the ridges, they're not so much. And you can kind of more swim it down, almost similar to working the bait, as I described in the beginning, on a 45 down current cast, where you just barely pick it up and then let it fall farther down, and then barely pick it up and let it fall farther down, and just keep following it down with the rod trip. Rod tip. What I notice on guide trips with people they want to retrieve too much line. When you're working downhill, you almost need to forget the reel is there because yes, the bait's getting closer to the boat, but it's also getting farther down from the boat. So if you start retrieving slack like you would on a, on a horizontal retrieve or an uphill retrieve, you are going to keep your bait up and off the bottom pretty quickly. And on guide trips, which I've been guiding for a long time, about 50% of the time, we, I have a hard time getting people to keep their baits on the bottom, especially in you know, 20, 25 feet of water. If you got an eight-ounce jig or something like that, it's hard to keep it on the bottom unless you're very diligent about keeping your hand off the spinning reel. Uh, I actually learned that from Al Linder years and years ago at ICAST, like 15 years ago at ICAST. He said if more guys would learn to take their hand off their spinning reel, and they would have better chance of keeping bottom contact with their baits and really focused on their rod. There's a reason you spend a lot of money on the rod because it's very sensitive. I don't care how much you spend on your spinning reel, it's not sensitive. It should do nothing but control your slack line in most most scenarios. So if you're working a bait downhill, stop reeling. Get your hand off the handle of the reel and literally pick it up a little bit and then follow it down with a rod tip. Pick it up a little bit and follow it down with a rod tip. Yes, you're going to have to pull up some slack, but nowhere near as much as you might think. And that's something I fight constantly when I'm trying to get guys to catch fish and keep a tube jig or a goat minnow, something down very tight to the bottom. So that angle can make a difference. The other possibility is working up and over a ridge. So let's say that I don't have a bottom contact bait. Let's say I've got a crankbait or a jerkbait. Well, now I can work it any which way I want. I can work it from deep to shallow, shallow to deep, or I can work it 90 degrees across a ridge. So say the ridge is running left to right, I maybe cast past the ridge, and I work the bait across the top of it and try to get bites that way. That might work really good, but on other days, I might have to put the boat right on the ridge and cast parallel straight up or straight down the ridge and work the bait parallel with the ridge. The book will tell you that you're going to keep your bait in the strike zone the longest by doing that. Well, that's fine, but the strike zone doesn't always generate strikes. Yes, you're close to your fish, but maybe, maybe, just maybe, that doesn't generate the strikes because it's literally running right where the fish are as opposed to drawing the fish to the bait. A really good example of that is stepping away from structure. Let's talk about shade or cover lines. A shade line can be killer, but you can sometimes work your bait parallel down a shade line, right? So you put your boat or your cast, whatever, maybe you're on the bank, whatever, and you work straight parallel with a, with a shade line. That can work really good. But in my experience, casting into the shade, working a bait out into the sun, out from under the shade, and then killing your retrieve as soon as it gets there, as soon as it pops into the open water or the bright-colored water, the, the well-lit-up water, as soon as it comes into there, you kill the retrieve for just a second. I mean, like a one or two seconds to give the, the, the fish a chance to pounce. This is one of my favorite things to do with a jerkbait in shade lines. I love that presentation for bass and for walleyes and for wipers. Uh, if I can get a big shade line, a big steep, I mean, you see them at Lake Powell, anywhere you got real steep banks, uh, could also be docks or could just be where the sun's, you know, behind whatever ridge and it's forming a really good shade line for you. 
throw up into the shade, work the bait really fast coming out of the shade, and then kill it just for a quick second right as it comes out into the sun. The first time you get that strobe effect from the, from the bait out in the sunny water and then speed it back up again can be really, really, really good way to get bites. But if you're coming straight down the shade line, the fish get all kinds of time to see it because it's in the open, it's in the open sun or it's in the shade and it doesn't give off the strobe effect one or the other. So working angles to that shade line can make all the difference in the world. And in almost all cases, you need to work from the shade into the sun. There's almost no scenarios where I've been able to be in the shade casting into the sun and bring a bait back into the shade and have it get bit. If the fish are that solidly pinned in the shade, then you're better off to throw some sort of a very small strike zone bait that doesn't cover very much water and really pick the shade apart as opposed to trying to work a speedy bait uh, parallel down the, the shade line, something like that. A very similar scenario to shade lines are mud lines where the bank gets stirred up from either boats or from wind and the water's otherwise clear and then the bank starts getting stirred up because you have uh, particulates in the water. We're not talking about tannin, we're talking about particulates. We're talking about effectively grit in the water column, so to speak, and it will get muddy colored. There's typically shade underneath that when those first form. And even if there's not, there, there'll be a distinct line where the water goes from clear to, to muddy, especially when the shade lines are new. When they've really just got started forming, they're going to have really defined edge on them. And that's when they're really good to fish. There's a standard pattern we follow anywhere in the country, anywhere I run into it. And in that scenario, either a bottom contact bait cast into the shade in the dirt shallow water, like up in the like in the dirt, uh, and that first couple of feet from the bank is going to be your best scenario, or it's going to be to do the same thing we did with shade, which is throw up into the mud, pull the bait out into the open water, and give it a tiny stutter step, whether it be a crankbait or a jerkbait. As soon as it comes out into that open water a foot, you just kill it for a quick second and let it, let it just stall right there for a second, and that's a great way to get fish to just smoke it. That's one of my favorite walleye techniques, and you don't see that many guys doing that for walleyes, but to, for the record, the largest walleye I ever caught bit at 10 o'clock in the morning in no water at all coming out from underneath the mud line. So uh, it was a high bright Sunday. There was a well-defined well defined mud line going on. I threw a jerk bait up in it, jerked it out of that as soon as it hit the, the open water or the bright colored water, the clear water. I killed it for a quick second. And lo and behold, big giant walleye smashed it. So, um, you know, that's a really good scenario for big walleyes, especially to get up and feed because they're not quite as spooky when they're up in shallow water. They're the boss. There's not likely to be a bird that's going to get them. A 10-pound walleye doesn't have a tremendous number of predators, at least here in the West. So they're willing to get up in very shallow water and feed if the scenario suits them. And mudline scenarios or shade line scenarios definitely suit them very well. Or the other thing can be, shade lines around flooded, flooded trees, flooded vegetation. So uh, flooded willow bushes are a classic example. There's typically going to be one side of them that's shadier than the other. It doesn't even typically matter if that's the deep side or the shallow side or, or one side or the other of the bank. They're going to gravitate. And fish will, particularly bass, will go around and around that tree as the shade line does over the course of the day. So as the sun migrates across the sky, the shade line moves and the bass will go with it. It could be that it's very important that you cast, uh, you know, straight into the tree. It could be that the shade's developed well out off of the tree and you can run by the outside of the tree, which is a better scenario. If the, if the sun's lower in the sky and it makes a wider tree, a wider shade line, 
the fish will release a little bit from the tree itself, meaning they're not buried in the willow bush. They'll get out on the outside edges of it, and then I can run a bait across and get them to, to bite. When the sun's straight overhead, the, the willow bush is typically well-defined around the base and then has a big, giant canopy, and they might be right at the base of that tree, and the only way to get to them is to, is to get a bait right to the bottom uh, at the base of that tree, which means you need goat rope and something very weedless to do it. You can't run a reaction bait by the outside of it and expect them, or a drop bait even, uh, and, and expect them to come charging out and get it. They might be 10 feet underneath there. So that shade line will help you determine maybe when I want to fish those willow bushes because the fish might be in there all day but they're only accessible to you as an angler with reasonable tackle uh, when the bush is shaded on one side or the other, something like that, to keep them from completely burying in there. Uh, another scenario with casting angles can be some sort of cover. Uh, a hard wall is a good example of, or, or a dam face, a 45-degree dam face with a bunch of broken rock, or a seawall. If you're a seawall guy, um, you're, maybe you're fishing a developed lake, a residential lake of some sort, and people have seawalls around it. Um, the obvious answer there, everyone wants to go down and throw straight at the seawall, but then the fish typically will move up and down the seawall parallel with it one way or the other. So working 45-degree angles can be really good uh, because your bait's in the strike zone for a while, but you're not blowing your fish out by having the boat right on the wall. I've seen a lot of scenarios where yeah, it'd be great to put the boat literally where the rub rail's almost against the seawall or the dam and throwing straight ahead of the boat. But the problem with that is you potentially will spook fish because your boat's up much shallower. So you're better to keep the boat out a little bit off the bank and throw at an angle as long an angle as you can and make longer casts. And then realize that once your bait's out in open water and you've worked that first however much of the bank you feel like uh, you know from that seawall fish will go or from that dam that they'll go, case with seawall, it's going to be very short. I mean, I might only fish the first three or four or five feet from the wall. On the case of the dam, because of the slope, then I might fish it, you know, 10, 15, 20, 30 feet out, depending on how deep I expect the fish are. But that can be very important to keep track of. And by keeping the boat out 30 or 40 feet of water, I don't spook those fish that are up in 10 or 12 feet of water that I'm going to catch by making a long angular cast. Now, if I am going to get right on the bank, and throw straight ahead of the boat, again, I'm going to throw really long casts, especially after adopting forward-facing sonar, in my case, Lawrence Active Target, because what I'm finding out is more fish than I ever realized are moving ahead of the boat. And someone's going to counter that and say, well, I get bit right at the boat a lot. Well, yeah, absolutely, because not all fish are going to leave ahead of your boat, for one. And for two, a lot of the fish are going to follow whatever it is you're retrieving right back to the boat without registering what's going on. Uh, with the with the overall situation, and they'll run it up and bite it right at the right at the boat, or particularly big fish like pike or something like that, or a muskie. He's not afraid of anything, so he's going to come charging right up to your boat and and do whatever he wants to do. However, some timid walleyes or a bunch of smallmouth that are getting a bunch of pressure might be another story altogether. So, if I can keep my boat out in deeper water and throw into the shallow water and work that casting angle back out at say a forty five degrees, I'm going to do better scenario in that regard. One thing I'll throw out there, if I have two anglers in the boat, boat control thing is an important thing in this in this deal. I will crank the big motor all the way to one side or the other if I'm going to work down a dam face. And the reason being is, or any sort of a linear bank, and the reason being is the boat will then crab on the trolling motor. That the, the motor, the big motor in the back will have a keel effect and will force the tail of the boat one way or the other. And I can work the boat at an angle down the dam, and that gives the guy in the back of the boat a really good casting angle on the dam. 
um, that that is, you know, the guy in the back, and that, in my opinion, is at an advantage almost at that point. So uh, because he is tighter to the dam um, in some ways, but not so close that that uh, he's spooking fish. So the guys in the back of the boat are going to oftentimes have a better deal if you crab the boat down a dam face like that. But there's very few scenarios where I can get on the dam face and retrieve straight up the dam to my fish. However, topwater is one of those scenarios. And I've also done reasonably well with shallow running crankbaits doing that when the fish are out a little bit deeper, particularly something like wipers or a fish that's more pelagic. Some of the big trout in my lake will do the same thing. You get the boat up in no water as close as you dare to the bank and then throw out. And then as you retrieve the bait back, uh, it basically gets run into the bank. And so it's no different than a school of fish pushing bait up against a seawall or something like that. Your lure becomes up against the proverbial rock in a hard spot. The fish has it cornered up against the bank, so they will push it up against the bank and get it. Obviously, in that scenario, you'd be better standing on the bank than you would a boat. You have less chance of spooking fish. Um, that's going to be you know, a really important thing. But working up the face of a dam or to a seawall can be okay. I just find, in my experience, it needs to be a bait that's high in the column. For whatever reason, a bottom contact bait, that doesn't work for me. Now, not everybody has a boat. Let's talk about fishing from the bank, okay? There's rare, unless I'm straight fishing for trout in open water, and the reason I throw trout out there is they tend to roam, particularly stalker trout in western areas. They tend to roam wherever they want to go. It doesn't seem to be pinned to depth uh, or anything else. That's about the only scenario where I'm going to stand and just make long bomb throws straight out off the bank. I'm almost always going to work angles. And more importantly, because I can't cover a lot of water, I can't move all over the place, I'm going to alternate my angles. So let's say I'm standing on the shore, right on the shoreline, and I'm facing straight out to the middle of the lake. My first cast might be straight down the bank to my left. My second cast will be straight down the bank to my right. My third cast might be 30 degrees off the bank to my left. And just keep working that back and forth as I go because I don't want to make multiple presentations with the same lure 10 feet apart down the same bank. My experience with that is you're going to have diminishing returns. The exception to that being if, if the water is really dark colored or maybe you're fishing at night. But for the most part, if you're... Joe Bass guy, and you walk up to a bass pond, making some presentations in a fan cast situation and, and alternating from left to right to left to right to left to right till you get to the middle and then starting over is going to be your best scenario uh, with that. And at which point when I start over, typically I will change baits. Uh, even, if, even if I got fish on the last one, I'll still change baits, change colors, uh, change the vibration pattern a little bit just to change it up if I'm stuck in one spot. But I'll keep mixing those angles without... Um, you know, without without fail. I will continue to do that all the time because by doing that, you're going to continuously mix the retrieve and give the fish something different to look at. And they have little brains. If they're going to bite, they're probably going to bite on the first or second pass with a bait. And by the third or fourth one, they've tuned into that and the chances of them biting are not as good. Last thing I'll throw out there uh, with angles, and this is kind of a micromanage of your angles, but one of the things that can make a huge difference is what you do with the rod tip in regards to your angles. So I can steer my lure with my rod tip. Let's say I've got a seven foot long fishing rod. If I have it pointed straight to my left, 
it's sticking seven feet out to my left. If I point it straight to my right, it's seven feet out to my right. Well, that's a 14 foot range in difference in the angle in which the lure is being retrieved. And what that will do is allow the bait to steer. So rather than a bait working in a straight line, let's say I'm retrieving a, a anything, something simple, an inline spinner. I'm retrieving an inline spinner. If I, if I swing the rod all the way to the left and then all the way to the right, uh, as I am working the bait, it's going to work in an S pattern all the way back to the boat in a very much better chance of getting, re getting bites than working in a dead straight line. There's not a lot of things in nature that run in a straight line for a 40-yard cast. So steering it back and forth with the rod tip will change the angle of the retrieve and that will effectively get you more bites. Really, if you're a troller, you can picture it as though you get more bites in a lot of cases on the turns, whether it be your inside or your outside turn, you'll get more bites on your turns, and that's because your bait will also accelerate as it turns each time. So the speed of your lure and the angle in which it is going change when you steer it with the rod tip, and that's how you get a lot of bites, is mixing that up. Along those same lines, um, Let's say you're working a, something like a jerk bait, and you work it tip down, drink, 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 and you're jerking it all the way back to the boat. If about every 10th or 12th jerk, you jerk it up three times instead of rod tip down, all of a sudden your bait will jump up in the water column. You will change the angle of your retrieve, which will effectively change the depth range in which your bait's running in, and it will also make it look like your lure is running for the surface instead of running horizontally. And that can also trigger bites from you very, very well. So the angle in which you hold the rod as you make your retrieve is going to change the angle in which your lure moves in relation to whatever it is you're fishing, whether that be the bottom or some sort of cover or some sort of shade line or whatever the case might be. But the angles are very important. And the big takeaway from this podcast, if nothing else, is pay attention to them because it makes a huge difference. I'll close with this. The first full year I tournament bass fish, which has been a long time ago, back in the 90s now, I had a perfectly good 21-foot tournament-ready boat in the garage. I didn't take it. I didn't take it because I wanted to fish out of the back of everybody else's boat and see how they did it. So I fished as a co-angler so that I had to fish out of the back of people's boats. I wanted to learn how they fished in their own boats, how they controlled their boats, and, and focus on that rather than having to find and deal with my own fish. What I found out is I could beat most of those guys from their boat just by paying attention to the angle that they constantly cast. And what I found out is 90% of the guys are going down the bank and they're throwing 45 degrees ahead of the boat all the time and never changing that up, never changing that up. So the guy in the back of the boat, I can observe that and I'm like, oh, well now I might be able to throw 45 behind the boat or 90 degrees or straight behind the boat as the case might be and work the baits that way. And by focusing on mixing it up, instead of getting in that rut of making that same cast 45 ahead of the boat as I'm going down the bank, making the same cast at the same pitch angle over and over and over again, which is what I observed from the guys who own the boats, I was able to beat most of them out of the back of their own boat. And all I really focused on was casting angles and fishing baits so that I could work that were complementary to their baits. But more importantly, the angle in which I threw them made a big difference, and uh, and I think you would find it would do the same for you as well. So, casting angles. Pay attention to them. Change them up over any course of the day while you're fishing, and I think you'll find you'll catch more fish. If you find a certain angle working uphill is working better, focus on that. If working across your cover or your structure is working better, fantastic. If you're fishing logs for largemouth and swimming your jig down the log is getting you more bites than, say, up and over the log, well, then great. Just focus on it. But you have to first 
observe what you're doing and make it part of your habit to change your stuff up. So appreciate you listening to this episode of Fishful Thinker, the podcast. We would appreciate it very much if you would follow us on Facebook or Instagram, and that's at Fishful Thinker, and especially on our YouTube channel at Fishful Thinker. We put a lot of effort into that. It is a labor of love. And, of course, we'll see you every Saturday morning on Altitude Sports Entertainment and five days a week on World Fishing Network. So thanks for listening. This has been Fishful Thinker, the podcast.